0: Welcome back to part three of Judging Our Judges. Today, we are going to be talking about Yiftach. So, after Gideon's death, there was a lot of idol worship at the time. And there were other sheiftim. After Gideon, at this point, things were not looking very good. This time, Hashem delivers the Jews into the hands of B'nai Amin. As we've already discussed in the previous classes, the caliber of the saviors, or the sheiftim, that Hashem sent to save the Jews from their enemies was based on what the nation deserved at that time. Hashem was upset with the Jews, and He did not want to honor them with a glorious salvation through an exemplary individual. They simply did not deserve it. However, Hashem also didn't just want them to be completely annihilated by their enemies. Here enters Yiftach. Although Yiftach does achieve an amazing military victory, along with it comes tragic and embarrassing events for the Jewish people. This too is the fault of the spiritual status of the nation at this time. Hashem does save them, but they still suffer. Who was Yiftach and what was his fatal flaw? Through our analysis of the story and the text, we will see inferiority, superiority, arrogance, ignorance, and stubbornness all play a role in this tragic unfolding of events. The text describes Yiftach as a gibor chayil, which means a strong fighter, a strong person, who has some level of fear of Hashem, but he is far from a learned man. He's an ignoramus, as a matter of fact, he is shunned from regular Jewish society because he was born to a Pelegesh, a second-class wife. Since he was born from a different mother, Yiftach's brothers did not want him to have any part in their father's inheritance, so they chased him away from their family. Now, they were wrong because according to Jewish law, the son of a Pelegish does have a part in his father's inheritance, But this is still what they did. They did not want him to take anything from them and they banished him. So he had no other choice but to go live someplace outside of the land and he spent his time with unsavory people and he had to fend for himself. He acquired a reputation as a good warrior and a strong fighter. Now the men of Gilad, the brothers who had chased him out of their land saw that they're in a real predicament. There is no leader. There is no one to defend them or lead them in battle against the Amainim, And the Amaynim are getting ready to fight. At this point, the fear of Amayim is so great that the elders of Gilad give up on their pride and they go and decide to ask their estranged brother Yiftach to help them, to lead them in war. So how are they going to get him to do it? So they try to butter him up, they try to bribe him. They say, if we win, we'll make you our king. Yiftach is not ready to accept their offer, as he feels that he's being used only for his military abilities. But they even offer to make him their leader before the battle even starts. And this definitely appeals to Yiftach. He accepts the challenge, and Yiftach is off to battle a huge enemy. Now remember, we mentioned that Yiftach was not anywhere near a Talmud Chacham, and he did not know Halacha. He is envisioning grandeur for himself with his new leadership position. Unlike his predecessor, Gideon, he doesn't ask Hashem for a sign that he will be successful, but rather makes an emphatic pledge to Hashem as to what he will do to celebrate when he returns from the war victorious and he expects Hashem to cooperate with him. Yiftach feels the spirit of Hashem in clothing him, and he pledges, if Hashem indeed delivers the enemy into my hands, then the first thing that greets me when I return home victorious, I will offer as a sacrifice to Hashem. Now Yiftach, what is he imagining? He's imagining his glory upon returning home victorious. And he will now have the privilege of bringing a big celebratory animal as an Eila nedava, a voluntary sacrifice of thanks in the Mishkan, in Shilai. Now everybody, now the Jews, now his brothers, they'll finally respect him. Everyone will come. To watch him preparing himself for this awesome event, and the Qayhanim will assist him, and everyone will be cheering him on. This was something he was never able to do before, and this is also something that not a lot of people got to do to give an Isla Nadava in the Mishkan in Shilai. He had the whole event planned in his head exactly how it was going to work out, <clears throat> but Hashem had other plans for him. Now, what did Yiftach exactly mean with this pledge? The commentaries differ. There are those that say in his excitement and foolishness, he did not think it through. He simply did not think through what he was saying. Because what if something impure came out to greet him? What if a dog or a pig was the first thing that came out to greet him? What would he do with that? So obviously, his words were not thought out so well. Which again shows on his lack of wisdom, but he certainly was not expecting a human being to show up. While other commentaries say, no, Yiftach knew exactly what he was talking about, and the text is worded in such a way that he says, if it is something that is fitting to be sacrificed, then it will be a carbon for Hashem. If it is not something that is fitting to be sacrificed then it will be holy for Hashem. If it's something that it's not fitting to be sacrificed, it will be set aside for Hashem in another way, either through Kedushas Damim, monetarily, like if it's an animal that can't be sacrificed, so we could sell the animal, and that money that we make, that money will be given for the Mishkan, set aside for that. And, that if it would be a person, that their entire life would be dedicated to extreme servitude of Hashem, which apparently Yiftach did not understand what that truly meant either. What all commentaries do agree on is that the last thing that Yiftach was expecting to see, greet him upon his, a victorious arrival at home, was his only daughter, who was also his only child. So once he knew what he was dealing with, when she came out to greet him and the Pasuk says that she came out to greet him with tambourines and she was dancing and she was so happy and Yiftach's face fell when he saw her and he tore his clothing. So once he knew what he was dealing with, having to give up his only daughter, why did he not annul his vow? We all know that there is a concept of HaTaras Nedarim. We do it every year before Yom Kippur. So again intrudes Yiftach's ignorance and arrogance. However, the arrogance stems from his inferiority, which he suffered from his whole life, because now he's finally made it in a society that he was shunned from. He is no longer the pathetic son of the Pelegesh, who was banished by his brothers. Yiftach says to himself, I am the leader now. How will it look if I don't keep my word? Yes, there is a concept of annulling a vow. There is a concept of hataras nadarim. But that's not for high-ranking people like me. How will it look if I, Yiftach, the newly appointed the victorious leader, will annul a vow? How unbecoming. I'm not setting a good example for the nation. What he didn't understand was that humility is trait number one in a leader and this was his fatal flaw. There are commentaries that say that he did entertain the thought of annulling his vow, but he was too proud to approach the sages that could have performed it for him. He felt that they should have come to him. Arrogance and stubbornness are not a very good combination. So how did he keep his vow? Again, the commentaries vary. There are those that say that he actually did sacrifice his daughter and that this is a terrible time for the Jewish nation when they saw what happened. However, many commentaries say that no, he did not actually sacrifice her, and it was never even his intention. But she had to live her life out in extreme servitude to Hashem, alone, never marrying, spending all her time in prayer and study, which is also quite tragic for a young Jewish girl who has her whole life ahead of her. As a matter of fact, the text of the Navi is quite vague when it comes to the fulfillment of the vow. The Pasuk just reads, which translates as, he did the thing that he vowed to do. Whatever was done either way was not a good reflection on the nation as a whole. Therefore, it was written this way in a vague way, didn't want to spell it out exactly what was done. So in any event, she was either sacrificed or sent to live her life in solitude. Now, what about her? What about the daughter of Yiftach? Was she a victim? Did she easily agree to her father's plan? There doesn't seem to be much arguing on her part other than her asking for a two-month reprieve to spend with her friends mourning over her young life that is either about to end through a sacrifice or about to end through living a life of solitude. There are commentaries that say that she went to the sages of the time to ask them to intervene on her behalf, to go to her father and convince him that he could annul his vow. But the sages, they said Yiftach had to come to them, which he didn't do. And this generation was punished, Yiftach was punished, and the sages were punished because of the stubbornness on both of their parts. But what did the daughter of Yiftach do to deserve this? This is a difficult question. The only way that I have found to explain this question is through the concept of Gilgulim, reincarnation. We believe, we know Judaism believes that souls, all souls who come down into this world are are reincarnations of other souls, and they come down to correct things that the souls couldn't do in their previous lives. So commentaries explain that the daughter of Yiftach was a Gilgal, was a reincarnation, of the wife of Chum, who was a son of Neyach, from Neyach and the Teba. And this wife of Chum lived immorally with other men. In order to correct her soul, it had to go through what the daughter of Yiftach endured. So I'll conclude with what I usually do with my fifth grade students. I prefer to teach this story according to the commentaries that Yiftach never intended to sacrifice his daughter, and he didn't do that. I teach according to Metsudas David, which is one of the main commentaries on Nabi, that he said, if the thing that greets him is not fit for a carbon, then it will be dedicated to Hashem. <clears throat> However, you know, sometimes a teacher has plans and it doesn't always end up working out. So one year, I had a student in my class who had a well-known painting in her home. This painting was made by the Hasidic artist, Zalman who who is Mrs. Demberg's father. It is a painting of Yiftach preparing to sacrifice his daughter on an altar. So this student says, she raises her hand after listening and learning for a few days about the story of Yiftach, and he says, no, this is not what happens. He doesn't send her to live in the mountains by herself for the rest of her life. He sacrifices her, like in the painting. So now I usually explain that there's another opinion that he actually did sacrifice her. But I don't dwell on that story. So I teach it according to the fact that he set her aside for a life of holiness. And I do mention that there is this other opinion that he actually did sacrifice her. And again, the commentaries are really, really split on this. But what we definitely can see from here is that Yiftach combination of Ignorance, arrogance, superiority, inferiority, and stubbornness are what led him down this path. But again, it was not necessarily his fault because this was the leader and this was a situation that the Yiddin deserved at the time that they were living in because of their sins of serving idols. And next time we will go on and we will see how... It even gets worse, and the Jews deserve an even less worthy savior than Yiftach was. So thank you for joining, and we'll see you next time.